0: For the van to come Old friend
1: Fast Forward podcast by Tech Manchester. I'm your host, Patricia Keating. Through this podcast, we're going to look at all the things that keep entrepreneurs up at night, whether you're starting out your business or whether you're taking your company to the next level. My guest today has a real insight into growing and developing tech businesses. This is an influential person right across the UK tech scene, having been Director of Tech North, now known as Tech Nation, having 12 years in building a successful digital marketing agency, Latitude, and the driving force behind Sascon. And now has moved on to a very successful portfolio, non-executive career. So today we welcome Richard Gregory.
0: Wow, thank you very much. That sounds really flattering and really great.
1: (laughs) Richard, you have really ridden the wave of digital transformation over the last 20 years. Could you give us your highlights and lowlights of what the changes have been in the industry over that period of time?
0: Well, let me talk about the Tech North perspective a little bit, because that was a fascinating experience, having come out of uh, the private sector uh, from the agency world and, you know, classic world of, of P&L and grow in an organisation. The challenge laid down was, you know, how do you help other people in tech businesses, start scale-ups, beyond, across the whole of the 14,000 square mile region? Um, and that was really about understanding where were the barriers, because it wasn't that companies weren't doing well. It turns out there are an abundance of them. They're really good. But there were some barriers to stopping them growing as fast as companies that might have been located in the southeast of England or the west coast of America. Um, and the interesting kind of trends and stuff we started to get to grips with were things that now feel a little obvious. You know, the skill shortage is one of the most paramount ones. and We feel that um, really intensely right here in the northwest and specifically in Manchester because of all the growth you've seen Um there were different stages of ecosystems. You know, as a new industry comes online, you've got to get people to work together that have historically been competitors. And um, that was one of the key driving forces behind Sascon that you mentioned. So back in 2009, 2010, you know, most of us in the industry found ourselves going down to conferences in London to talk about digital marketing and search industry. And yet, we kind of found ourselves, and I particularly found myself on a panel with three other people. One was from Leeds. One was from Manchester. Half the audience had travelled to this event in London and you ask yourself, why do we keep coming? And the capitals a lovely place, but why are we dragging ourselves down here when we have enough of a critical mass already um, in the north of England? Um, and we asked ourselves uh, in the Euston tap, actually outside Euston, brilliant watering hole. Uh, we had the great idea of how hard would it be to do this up north and do this in Manchester uh, and bring everyone together? It turns out it's quite hard actually, but <laughs> we but we got there, long story short. And and it turned into a, you know, um what we call a failing non-profit. It was an event that we were doing out of goodness, uh, but it kind of made money, which we then put to good causes. Ran for eight years, um, you know, lots of keynotes, raised the industry. And we actually stopped it this year because the job was done. You know, we started finding ourselves struggling for venues because other events were now happening and Manchester and the Northwest had become this great location particularly for digital marketing and mm-hmm. e-commerce and the last thing you wanted to do is compete with the thing that you'd set out to create so we parked that but that level of community um, isn't the same in every part of the north there's different breakers there's you know areas where like the northeast in particular have some amazing collaboration and support groups but that's not uniform and you still find cities and locations where everyone just gets their head down gets on with it and doesn't collaborate and that doesn't grow the industry so you've got the skills, you've got the collaboration stroke ecosystem, um, you've got the funding piece, um, you know, and again, you, you take Manchester relative to the rest of the north. Um, it's pretty hard to get funding for early stage businesses. Um, a few things have come online. We've got a great angel network around the northwest in particular. Um, you know, the Northern Powerhouse Fund is now in full flow and that's investing. It uh, looks to be quite successfully. Indeed, um, one of the companies I'm involved in took some money from, from Mercia, um, which we're very grateful for but there's still a bit more to go and then the, your focus shifts to uh, you know, to scale-ups and beyond. And the final thing was this very northern piece was around just banging your drum a bit louder. You know, I always said that the further north you go in this country, with the exception of Scotland, it stops there, the more humble people get. And and you have this mentality, of, I'm doing a great job, so I'm going to get my head down and get on with it. I'm not going to shout about it. I'm going to be in stealth mode for ages. And when you came across businesses like EPS in Hull that were 300 people that were providing the software for the Oyster Network in London for the underground and the Paris and New York metros, and no one had heard of them, you start to realise the gravity of the problem. And then, and that's where Tech North started to lend some help, is that we had the data, we knew where everyone was. It's about shining a really big light on them and say, look, you might want to shout a bit more about what you're doing so that you know that all the attention isn't focused on the South East or overseas. And all the things that come with that that attracts investment, that attracts people. And I think, you know, we're seeing bits of that. So that, that's a, a, a few kind of four themes mm. that we kind of pulled out of that.
1: It's so interesting you mentioned there that, um, you know, when you became, you moved across into public sector, but you yeah. came from a, a lifetime of, of private sector. Yes. What impact do you think that had in terms of the direction that Tech North took at that particular time? Because it was at a period of change when you took it over.
0: It got off to a bit of a rocky start, and actually when I was first approached about the role by the head it, it was a very quick no. It was a, what the hell would I want that? That sounds like a right poison chalice. Um, and then subsequent conversations with the then-chairman, Herb Kim, Gerard Gregg yeah. from Tech City, um, Dave Richards, who was on the board from One Disco, Hugh Campbell at GP Bullround. Know, nine meetings later, they're kind of like, yeah, do you know what? You know, I actually understand what you're trying to do. The messages got lost somewhere um, in some of the noise, let's give it a go you know th- th- there's an opportunity to make a difference here going from a digital agency that builds revenue and works with clients to you know a partly public funded organization that yes it's got a p l but that's not how you're measuring its success it's, it's a much wider softer metric was difficult in some levels but the same things still ring true you know you get the strategy right you decide that the organization was focused on wasn't focused it was trying to do lots of things It was trying to be, like a lot of public sector organisations, very popularist. Because it didn't want to upset anybody. It wanted to make everybody happy. You just can't do that with a finite amount of money and resources and time. Um, So my first thing was to do exactly what I'd done in the business world, is you get focus. We used OKRs as a methodology, which is you you pick five areas of focus, you ignore everything else because there's 20 things you're doing, but you pick the five that are going to move the needle the most. You get everyone focused around those and you structure the team around it and go hell for leather. Um, And you set up some ways of measuring, are we making a difference in, you know, raising the profile of these businesses, um, bringing funding to the region, identifying the skills uh, gap and what we can do about it. So that focus was was what really made a difference. And then just the relentless repetition of it and the amount of times I stood on stage in different parts of the country and said, you know, and it was new to people I was saying it to out in the crowd, the five areas of focus. But I remember seeing the team roll their eyes, you know, while I'm saying, oh, here he goes again with the five things. But I tell you what, they damn well knew what they were as well. And they could repeat them, um, you know, uh, constantly. So I think that made a real difference in having that focus on metrics and also how you choose to focus your time. Do you know what? You all have experiences mm-hmm. as there's a tech manager. There's a real tendency that, uh, you get pulled into a lot of support group meetings and public sector meetings, so yeah, you be very councils. busy. Local councils, <laughs> yeah, you you could spend all your time just meeting people like that, and and quite frankly, you just won't get stuff done. Mm. Um, and I had to very quickly be uh, kind of politely abrupt on a lot of it. Said, so, you know what, I'm not ready to meet you yet. Let's schedule something further down the line. And I, I got into the situation that I'd schedule seventy percent of my time with founders because they were our target audience. At the end of the day, mm. they're the only people. We should really care about. If I upset other people in other sectors, it's unfortunate, but actually, the founders are our, our customers. They're our laser focus, and that's why we're doing this. So you prioritise your time there, and then it gives you something to talk about those other groups about. Well, actually, founder X here in Sheffield mm-hmm. said this is a challenge. Do you do you understand that? What can we do about it? So yeah, focus, focus, focus. It's just become a massive mantra for me throughout everything now. Because uh, you know they always say that. The thing that kills a business is doing too many things. And, and often the hardest decision is what not to do rather than what to do.
1: Absolutely. I think now that the uh, Tech North has now evolved into Tech Nation and now yeah. you're, you've you gone beyond that and you you have this fortunate uh, <laughs> opportunity to look back in. Yeah. And I've seen some of the Tech North uh, initiatives yeah. now being sort of reinvented and, yeah. and now going out onto the U.K., scale that must yeah. make you feel very proud or sort of that validation that you were doing the right thing
0: yeah i mean that was a fascinating thing on, on i mean you know what you've got to bear in mind from our perspective is we saw tech north go national you also bear in mind that tech city went national as well you know mm. two organizations that were one focused on a city one focused on a region suddenly became you know uk wide and, that, and that's a massive shift and um, that can only be a good thing for technology businesses wherever they are um, I think obviously you lose a bit of regionality in there, you know, and there was an element of economic rebalancing that was kind of part of the priority behind a Tech North business. But yeah, it's absolutely brilliant that the programs that were created in the North and, and you know, passed the test and made a difference should be taken to other regions. Should, everyone else should be given the chance. We just got a head start, which is lovely. Yes. Um, so it, it's a great thing to do that, you know, but there are challenges. You can't, particularly what Tech City learned when they went from London to doing a region, is that everyone doesn't have the same challenges. You know, you wouldn't do a programme around access to finance um, in London. Um, not that the streets are paved with gold, but there's a lot more angels, there's a lot more people comfortable to invest in tech businesses and riskier early-stage tech businesses. So it's just not a big priority. Um, and the same would be true of Cambridge. However, you talk to those people about skill shortages, and my God, you know, they'll tell you what the problem is. And then you think about community and connectivity. You know, they're missing in places like like Cambridge again and, and Birmingham. So, you know, there's different flavours for different locations and, and that's a new challenge for them. You know, that's going to be fascinating to see how they, you know, all those issues are now, you know, increasing and increasing and, and how you help the UK overall. But it was an important move to do because, you know, we kind of became victims of our own success. You know, we did a good impact and we were evidenced, we were audited because it's public money and you absolutely should be under scrutiny. Um, and for every pound that was spent on those organisations, it delivered £6 for the economy, which is a great ROI by any, uh, mm. for any business. Um, So it's logical it had to go, go, you know, be successful there. Um, And then the government, obviously, at the time, you know, we've we've we hit the bread of B word, you know, Brexit happened and and that changed everything. We had a general election um, and that changed some of the decision makers in in government. Um, And the rationale was, yeah, this has been a great success. You're going to get money for four more years. But in the light of Brexit, it can't be a fragmented organisation. We've got to be united as the UK as we go into this this next kind of chapter.
1: It's interesting that you bring up the B word. <laughs> it's very popular at the moment. Yeah. So from what you're saying, would you think that Brexit's bringing more opportunities for the tech industry because of that or challenges?
0: Yeah, I mean, you kind of see it on a micro and a macro level. I mean, you know, the, the standard cliche is that any period of change and turmoil brings opportunity for entrepreneurs. So that, that's a good thing. And, and we have a very entrepreneurial nation, so there will be opportunities inside of that. However, you know, at a macro level, there really are challenges. And when we talked about two of the biggest ones facing the digital and tech space are access to talent and and funding, you know, you've got to bear in mind that Northern Powerhouse Fund, you know, is half European money. We're not getting that again. Um, and, you know, the skills shortage was already hard before we kind of shut the door to, um, you know, European immigration in particular. And we've seen dramatic decreases uh, in net migration from, from Europe in the last year alone, and um, that that's a challenge. Um and then there's subtle variations for, for different subcategories. So, you know, financial passport and its impact impact on fintech, uh exporting of pharmaceuticals and the health tech sector. Everyone's got a different kind of challenge and opportunity. Now the now the positive and, and what it should do um is and, and, and what I don't think we do enough of particularly in the northern tech sector or businesses in general, is think international. So yeah, do you know what? We may have left the door ajar, let's say, rather than close to Europe. You certainly put some barriers in place or in the process of doing that. But that doesn't stop you doing what you couldn't do. you know, you could have always done before is thinking about Asia Pac, thinking about parts of America, South America. Um, and particularly in the tech space, a lot of the products, whether they're SaaS or what have you, are very easy, easy to transfer overseas. And I always encourage businesses to think about that sooner rather than later because the opportunity isn't as frightening as you think. Well, sorry, the opportunity is massive. The challenges aren't really that scary about going international. And Just from the people I meet and the anecdotes, there seems to be a lot of, oh, I'm not sure I want to do that. That could be tricky. There could be visa issues. It could be cultural issues. They're not massive. It's like
1: an excuse. It's yeah. Like an excuse. You know, it's, it's like yeah. the
0: size of the prize is huge. One of the fascinating <clears throat> things we, um, that, that I enjoyed, I really appreciate what we did at Latitude, was um, we opened in the Middle East. Um, And everyone was surprised when we did it, because the the general trajectory at the time was, you know, the UK in particular, and and, and anyone at Google will tell you this, the UK market for digital advertising, the most advanced in the world, full stop. Um, And that's measured by things like digital advertising per capita is higher here than anywhere else. And and that's a great stat. Um, So what that means is if you're delivering those products here in the UK, you are up against the toughest competition in the world every time you pitch. Why would you do that? (laughs) By default, any other country you go to, the competition just isn't as strong. Um, so the trajectory at the time was lots of people were going to the US because it, they thought it would be easy because it's English language, some some time difference. But, you know, the reality was if you go to New York or you go to the West Coast, there's lots of competition. Um, and we looked at this kind of matrix of, of, you know, size of market and attractiveness of market versus level of competition. Um, and the Middle East was fantastic because it was about six or seven years behind the UK um, in some respects. Um, and Google had literally opened, just, just opened there. But competition was extremely light, and to the point that when we went for pitches, you know, when you were going for this work, it wasn't a proper pitch. You were either going to win it, and they were going to do work with you, or they just weren't going to do it. You weren't up against three or four other players, so that means your margins are slightly higher, your sales conversions are higher. And you kind of feel like a coward, because you're picking the easy fights. But the reality is it's all the best business sense in the world. Good growth, good revenue... And, yeah, the barriers of getting there weren't really as hard in reality as we thought they might be. So, yeah, I think, you know, Brexit has been negative. The, the, the kind of positive around it is that it makes you think, broaden your horizons and think about international expansion. But, yeah, that, that that's, <laughs> I'll find some positive in it somewhere. Actually, and, and this might get it out, but there's a fascinating anecdote to to the other kind of positive around Brexit and Trump. Um, so my, really? Well, no. So <laughs> are we, we really
1: getting a <laughs> We'll edit this. Yeah, <laughs> why not? Yeah.
0: No, but we, so we were talking before we came on, on the recording. So, my eldest daughter's gone to university. She's just started in Liverpool last week. Um, and she's studying history and politics. Um, she's far brighter than I ever was. Don't know where she got that from. But speaking to the lecturers when you go to the university, actually, interest in politics in the last two years has absolutely shot up because young adults are, are fascinated by how the hell did this happen with Brexit? Who the hell's he and how's he got in power? And and they're really fascinated in a way that I probably never was uh, when I was younger. So there's another, you know, silver lining to the cloud.
1: There's hope for our political leaders yet. Yeah. I'm really delighted that you touched upon your your Latitude years. um, (laughs) Because you joined Latitude right at the beginning of, I guess, the internet back in 2001. (laughs) And, you know, back then, like the internet was barely off the ground, let alone Mm. digital marketing. So you Mm. were really trailblazing (laughs) an industry that didn't really exist what was that like? It must have been incredibly exciting, but it must have been incredibly challenging at the same time.
0: I mean, it's, you use the word trailblazing. I, I still think about it as luck, right? You know, it's the right time, the right place. And yes, you can say about preparedness. So the interesting thing is actually um, my... i would actually been working in an online business before that. Um, so, I, you know, I graduated from university, again, in the north in Hull, um, took a first job in London in marketing. And then the agency I was working for had bought one third of this web design agency. It was one of the first ones. It was called Traffic down in London. And it had a you know a couple of techies, a couple of designers, but no kind of client service person. And I was fresh out of uni as an account exec. So I jumped into this role, which was supposed to just be a secondment to let them have an account management person in this business and then stayed there for three years. And then... Really, in the red bones of building the first websites for you know the likes of Volvo cars and the Yellow Pages when it was a big deal and stuff like that, and then uh, moved back up north to do the similar thing in, in an agency over in Leeds. Um, and when I landed at Lastude, which was called Corporum back then, I knew enough about websites, but this search marketing thing had started to rear its head. And this is pre Google AdWords. I mean, Google had started to exist, but no one was taking it seriously. We all used things like. Show me age now, God! You know Yahoo, Alta and Hotbot, <laughs> and Excite, and all those things, um, and the skills we learned then are not transferable to this day and age. Um, but when I met the the the, the people that the original founders of that organisation, and it was there were four people, right? You know, I was fascinated in search marketing. It wasn't something we'd done in the build side of of, of websites. We just built things and assumed people would come. And then you kind of look at this search marketing, and particularly this pay per click, which I say wasn't being offered by google it was um yahoo's owner overture and uh, a uk business called Espotting that was doing it and you know the simple concept it still stands today was people are looking for your product on this search engine do you want to be there or not and it's always a yes <laughs> and then it's right so how much are you willing to pay for a customer because that would be a bid and, and you, you hear something like that and and you can't help think, well this is just obvious this is like the easy this is shelling peas selling this thing yeah and it was you know, and, and actually, the biggest barrier had to sales back then was people were just incredulous; they didn't believe you. I can't be that easy. Um, so we had different ways of doing the commercials to attract people. So I'll tell you what: just pay us if we deliver something. Um, and they did, and we did, and, and everyone was happy. So we kind of rode the wave of that, right? And it was fantastic. Um, and you know, the, the world changed inside of that. You know, Google came from nowhere, and I, I had this chart somewhere I remember looking back out in the early days of the business, which showed the three kind of players: eSpotting, Yahoo, and Google. Um, and how Google went from like one percent to being nearly all of it uh, over like eight years, and, and how fantastic that was for them in many respects. But obviously, a, a growing market brings more competition. People get wise to it. Everyone gets into that space, and it gets harder and harder. Um, and looking back now, you know we went through a whole roller coaster. There were like five different chapters to, to latitude. As I say, it was called Core Call from Global originally, which was a terrible name. Hence the rebrand. Sales were very hard when people can't even say the name of your business. You, know, you, you <laughs> ring them up and you spend three minutes patronising them about the name of your business before you're even trying to sell to them. And that, that doesn't really lay the right foundations. Um, but the interesting thing was, you know, we, we kind of peaked with a lot of financial service clients and we took an investment from a VC that valued the business at it was 58 a pounds in 2000, December 2007, which was nice because we had employees on share options scheme and they had the, one of the best Christmas parties we ever had because we did the deal the morning of the Christmas party, unbeknownst to them. Mm-hmm. And that, that night we announced, by the way, money will have landed in your bank account. Yeah, it's a heavy night. Um, I can imagine. <laughs> but frighteningly, you know, that, that was December 2007. And months later, you know, we hit the collapse of the financial markets. And eight of our top ten clients were in financial services. Um, and some of those clients didn't exist by the end of that year. So suddenly you go into a downward spiral. And we had all sorts of financial nightmares that went with that, um, which we may come to later on, I don't know. Um, and then, you know, you kind of build yourself back up again. And we did that two or three times, actually, in this, through the phases of the organisation, hence the roller coaster kind of comment. But my biggest takeaway from that was I learned more in the kind of downward dips than I ever did while we were growing. Uh, and there were, one of our competitors had a great saying, you know, any tur- turkey can fly in a tornado. <laughs> you know, but what really separates you is your ability to bounce back. And, and I remember in 2008, you know, two of our competitors going under. Um, in, tw- in the first kind of 12 months of the year after that that market collapse. Um, and, you know, it was a bit like the dot-com kind of bubble bursting in 2000. It was a similar scenario, but but much bigger for those marketing agencies. But yeah, and the things you learn when you had to rebuild yourself and dig deep each time, that's what really defined you, I think. And, that, and that's probably where I take more of my learnings for the businesses I work with now.
1: So this podcast is about things that <laughs> keep entrepreneurs awake at night. Mm. Um, I don't know whether you would want to share a bit more about sort of that Period that really difficult period in two thousand and eight, and sort of this high as the CEO, who had been yeah. obviously at the pinnacle, like yeah. of you know fifty eight million in the bank, to you know losing eight of your biggest clients and the impact and how you actually recovered and what tips and things that we can share with.
0: Yes, yeah, so, I mean to be clear, so I was the director at the time. I was the ops director, um, and the the original founder Dylan was the CEO, um, and he actually left later that year after a fallout with the investor. That was a challenge in itself, and that's a shame, because he was a wonderful, was well, still a wonderful individual. Um, but also a new chap uh, called Alex Hoy was brought into the organisation who had a background in, in the tech space, wonderful guy, high energy. Um, and, but he'd landed this challenge of, right, you're in, we've now got this. You know, We're bouncing ourselves back. But the real, the real kind of crunch point for us came. So, I mean, again, just kind of without getting too deep into how VC funding works... Um, our, our investors at the time, you know, hadn't just used all of their own money. They'd match-funded it with money from a bank, and I won't name them because we won't get in that kind of mess, <laughs> but I don't bank with them now. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they lent to us from a division of their organisation, which was being hit really hard by the financial crash, and they decided to close it down. And 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 the conversation was as simple as we got this phone call in November that said, look, you know, you've paid off some of the load and the equity and, and what have you, you know, you kind of owe us 10 million uh, at any moment in time. You've got eight in the bank right now because your customers are payers and you haven't paid your suppliers. So we'll have that thanks and call it a day. And you've got 30 days to find some alternative funding. And you think it's November. I've got 30, what's the middle of November thing? And you've got 30 days. Actually, no, I know it's the 18th of November. Uh, November. Um, you've got 30 days to find, you know, millions of pounds. Otherwise it is literally game over. This isn't a we'll have to lay off a few people, we can make mm. some cuts in there. This is absolute showstopper.
1: And how many people were you employing at the time? Uh,
0: we're probably about 100, 105 people, I think, at that stage. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's not, you know, let's be clear, you think about yourself last at that yeah. point, you're thinking about, geez, 105 people, and, you know, do you tell them this? Good God, what are they are going to do? And, and we haven't really got time, we've got 30 days, which need to be spent sorting alternative funding. Um, and we did, you know, did, and Alex was really, who had a background in investment, really came into uh, his, his element here. But we did a really honest thing. Um, we straight away uh, told our biggest supplier, which was Google, and said, look, this is happening um, and it's out of our hands and it's going to hurt you more than anyone else because you're our biggest supplier and there's going to be no money in this bank on that day. And we worked with them, our current investors and the third party, um, and negotiated, negotiated a workaround to actually you know, exit the bank, still keep the business operating, uh, with enough money to keep us going and carry on the journey. Because at this point, we're still trying to rebuild ourselves from, mm. the, from the kind of uh, drop we'd have. And, and it went right to the wire. You know, we were in a, a four-way conference call um, on New Year's Eve uh, when we finally got it agreed. And I remember it was about 11 o'clock when we finally agreed, because some of these people in America, the time difference, what have you, and we finally got the thumbs up. And it was like, on one hand, it was like, wow, relief. You know, I don't have to tell 105 people it's game over. And you kind of go, and then you go, actually, we've still got to build this business back up. We've got all the problems I had before the 18th of November, but we just know that we've got enough runway now to keep it going. Um, and that that was horrific, I mean, but it was good and bad. You know, I learned a lot, a hell of a lot from that experience, and we certainly learned how resilient we could be. And it also puts other things in perspective. You start, you know, you, you come back and in February you lost a small client. You're like, normally I'd care about that, but I'm like, mm. do you know what, compared to this other stuff, that's just not...
1: It's, it's not a big deal things. anymore. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, that that was the most dramatic part of all of that. And then the rest yeah. of it, we kind of grew back up and did a sale to call credit in Leeds. Um, and then I left a, a couple of years after that when they in turn sold their share to um, another Boston-based business. And that's, uh, I mean, three and a half years ago since I left there.
1: So we've covered your Tech North time. Yeah. Um, and so let's look forward now at, at what you're doing now. So mm. non-exec director, yeah. non-exec chair. You seem as incredibly busy as as always. And it's digital that you've continued to focus on. What would be your view in terms of digital businesses and non-execs? Because there's it's not a massive part of digital businesses at the minute, um, but I think perhaps it should be. What are your thoughts?
0: Um, I mean, well, first of all, I'm not busy. It's great. That's kind of the balancing act. <laughs> I'm kind of taking a bit of a breather at the minute. So, I mean, yes, I've got, I've got 12 days I'm committing to, to a variety of different businesses at the moment, and I'm intentionally keeping a bit of time free there's always that niggle in, in your mind that there's something else you're going to do next. Uh, and I've got a pad full of ideas that none of which have floated my boat yet. So you keep that balance out for you. So never let me convince anyone I'm under the illusion that I'm mad busy. I'm <laughs> comfortably busy and having a great time. But the interesting thing is, so a lot of those opportunities came about from uh, businesses that saw the journey that last year had been at, um, recognized some of the challenges. So, not the New Year's Eve dilemma, but the challenges of scaling, recruiting, retaining staff, training them getting the sales pipeline, doing partner marketing, all those different bits and getting funding. And, you know, and you found this probably with with Tech Manchester, you know, we saw it at Tent North that there seems to be a dearth or a difficulty to find people that can advise mm-hmm. those businesses with the right experience. Yeah. And it might be that they exist, but you need to find them, match, make them and, and all the challenges that go with that. But yeah, I mean, it, it, from my perspective, my role <laughs> hasn't really changed. So, you know, this time last year, I was running Tent North helping northern tech businesses and now I'm helping northern tech businesses, <laughs> but only five of them rather than, <laughs> than, than, than kind of being less grander. No, just... But I'm a bit more detailed now. I'm, I'm a lot more in the, in, the, in the detail of some of these individual ones. And yeah, and the fascinating thing is that the only thing that really joins them together is that they're in the tech space. They don't compete because obviously you can't do that. There's conflicts of interest. But they all have completely different challenges. So for one, it might be the sales pipeline. For one, it might be, Jesus Christ, we can't get the uptime on the servers or something like that. Or this one's got a funding challenge or... You know, they're all at different stages at different times and it all flips around again and you go well oh, now the one that had the sales challenge now has that issue and now the people issues is over here and and you find yourself kind of it's the same challenges no matter what the industry is or what the uh, the problems are there so there's there's economies of scale and then the, the weird thing that I've started to know, notice happening over the last six months is just me stepping away and letting them talk to each other mm. because they know they're having it's like oh, Ash you're having the same problem as Ian over here well do you know, I could tell you the same thing, or you could just talk to each other yeah. um, and help each other out. And by the way, you, you're both talking to the same client about different problems. Why don't you work together and do a joint pitch and stuff like that? So there's, there's the economies of scale and a lot of serendipity in that. But yeah, th- there's a shortage of mentoring and advice, and I think part of that is to do with the maturity of the space. So when I left, last, left Latitude, um, I was the reason I got the first um, NED role uh, with, uh, with Ruler came about through their investor, so their investor, AXM, had a portfolio of, of businesses, probably about 30 businesses. And they'd always been on the lookout for uh, Neds with digital experience to go in and join their board. Um, and at the time, there were only a couple of us. That, uh, so myself and the guy called Neil McKay, you may have yeah. met Endless Gain, wonderful chap, um, you know, hit the market with a similar background at the same time. And, and um, we were kind of uh, pushed around the portfolio to see where the fit was and which ones we liked and vice versa. Um, and, then, and he won't mind me saying this he walked away from that going do you know what I'm just going to do it myself and he set up <laughs> Endless Game which is going amazingly well and I, and I, would, I kind of saw a few and thought do you know what I can't help them I'm not the right fit I don't understand that one you know th- that, that's not my space and Ruler was actually the last uh, meeting I had and it was oh, God, got to go all the way up to Liverpool and, um, and they're doing analytics and like you know Google does Google analytics and everyone knows that and that's free how do you beat free I, thought, but I've, I said, I'll do it, so I'll go there, I'll give them half an hour. Um, it's probably not going anywhere, I need a plan B. And I was completely wrong, I remember going in and seeing Dan and Ian, the co-founders, um, in, the, in the live building, still in the clock tower on the top of there. And uh, yeah, within 10 minutes I found myself sitting forward, listening to them and going, no, actually, you've got something here, you've found an angle, you, you've got something that really has some legs and this is the one I want to be part of. And then it's been the same with each of the other ones that I've come across. There's a few I've kind of met and thought, that's not for me I can't, in all honesty, I don't think I can add value to that business, but this one over here, I can.
1: It sounds like you've picked them on the ones that excite you most, and that really echoes um some of the advice that we had at our non-exec breakfast that we had here last week at UK Fast. Yeah. There was a lot of talk at that event in terms of defining the role of a n of a non-exec. And I think that's important both yeah. for aspiring non-execs or mm. neds as they're known. Um, but also for the, the companies that are out there looking for them to know what to expect. So yeah. in your view, how would you define hmm. the role as a non-exec?
0: So the, the difficult answer is that it is hard, it does vary. I think that there's an element of it that's fixed. So there's sensible stuff you do. So there's governance, so they've got investors, you've got to run the board meeting, be the impartial person uh, that kind of brings the investor and the founder and their organisation together, um, and you, you add value in that, and you, you help them structure and think about, think long-term. Because a lot of the time, the founder is, is, particularly in the early stage business, you're really in the roots and you're dealing with, you're pressed up against the issues every day. And every now and then you need someone to step back and go, you do realise this is what's going on out there. And you might be going in a slightly different direction. Um, so the, there's an element of structured work in there and, and being, a, being a sounding board, providing advice, a bit of governance. In, in the reality of it, the, the other half of the time is really ad hoc. You know, you end up being more of a a, a kind of a coach or a a psychiatrist sometimes. I mean, you know, the the seven o'clock phone call at night is the classic thing. You know, one of them will ring me up. They've had a bad day. Something's gone wrong, either with a people issue that they can't talk to anyone about or a a finance issue or a product or a sales thing, and you get the seven o'clock phone call. And those things end up being most of the time, actually. Um, You know, WhatsApp is probably the most popular channel for me right now <laughs> rather than email or anything else it's like oh can i just run this past you Or we're thinking about this or we're thinking about that or we just had this negative problem or you know so y- you can plan for some of it but the other half really is that that support side and the sounding board and the you know it is mentoring it's coaching and sometimes it's just psychiatrist it's the right come on let's let off a bit of steam think it through let's try again um, and doing some of that
1: that's why you've only got five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've only I got know.
0: five days of the week. <laughs> yeah, because, I, yeah, I mean, like I say, you know, it, it stacks up as 12 working days somewhere in there, but they're never really, it's not 12 solid days. And, and if anything, I think the only thing I do miss a little bit um, in this role versus when I was kind of full-time private sector is there's no routine. Trying to get a routine is really hard when half of the time you are being reactionary. And I think that's just nature of the, the businesses I'm working with. Um, you know, because and, and, they vary in size. I mean, none of them are bigger than 100 employees. The smallest is probably 12. The largest is 60 employees. Um, so they're still in that reactionary startup scale up stage. We're not in, mm. you know, organized growth and uh, regular kind of heartbeat to the business yet. Um, that wouldn't be as exciting, to be honest.
1: So what's next for Richard Gregory?
0: Um, next in the short term is carry on doing this. I'm enjoying it. I, I, I mean, the reality you've got to come to is that you know, some of these businesses will, will have exit plans and some are close to that than others. So I will step away from them at various points and there'll be natural points in the few years where you walk away, you finish with one and start looking for another. Um, the thing that I, I'm always kind of really, uh, kind of worried about sometimes for them is, you know, I know the stats on on startup success rates. You know, it's two thirds fail in the first four or five years uh, and I've got five, you know, so <laughs> now that's what you would. They're all looking great, which which can't be right. You know, that's a good... I mean, yeah. we said the same with Tech North about um, uh, the Northern Stars um, because of the second year's 10 winners, one of them, called course the fintech one, um, went into administration or closed down or, or went through mm-hmm. a prepack. Um, and it was like, oh, God, we've lost one. And then it was Hugh at GP Buller and said, look, you should run an investment firm because, you know, to only have one out of 10 fail. And yeah. in fact, it was one out of 30 because it was over three years. You shouldn't be worried, and then the irony was they'd come back as auto paid. So we're still having that. It has a hundred percent hit rate so, so far. There, <laughs> that, that 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 event. Uh, it's a very good performance. So we should but, yeah.
1: invest in all the companies that you're. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, of. I
0: think just about all of them are invested in now. You know, <laughs> which is awesome. great. You know, yeah. good. Yeah, we're good at picking them. James and the judges are all very good at picking them. It would seem like.
1: Richard, I've really enjoyed spending this afternoon talking to you. Yeah, thank you. It's been great. We do see what happens with the five companies. <laughs> I will be investing in them later on this afternoon. <laughs> it's been fascinating uh, listening to your story today, Richard, and, and your insights into the tech industry. And thank you so much for the, the pointers and the advice that you've given us and the entrepreneurs that are listening today. Uh, we'd like to hear from you entrepreneurs. What are the things that are keeping you awake at night? Please tweet in to us at Tech Manchester, T-E-C-M-C-R, or email info at techmanchester.co.uk. And we'll find the experts and the people that have had those experiences and bring them in here and get you your answers for a better night's sleep. Thank you very much.